This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Hello again. I'm Bill Pollack. Glad you're with us. Coming up on the program today, one state senator wants to become Secretary of State. Missouri State University has created an education center to help address the needs of Missouri's rural schools and a task force that will look at opioids and mental health. We'll hear about the Substance Abuse Task Force. Black vultures are posing an issue for livestock producers. Now, while turkey vultures will take care of the dead animals, black vultures will prey on young livestock if they get the chance. And getting us started is David Marks, uh, an assistant director of wildlife services with the USDA here in Missouri, with Cameron Connor to discuss the bird and ways for livestock producers to get rid of it. They are a migratory bird that they are a native species to North America. And they, you know, because of that, they are federally protected as part of the Migratory Bird Treaty Act. And we have two vulture species that are found in Missouri. One is the black vulture, which we're talking about today, and then the other is the turkey vulture, which um, just in general, you can tell the difference um, by their head. You know, the turkey vulture looks kind of like a turkey with a red head, and the black vulture has a black head. So that's the simple terms. They do have some differences. They, they both, I guess, they both similarly eat carrion or dead animals. I mean, that's their niche, their ecological role is they eat dead animals on the landscape. Um, and that's why, you know, we need them actually, you know, they play an important role. They, you know, if we didn't have them, there'd be a lot more dead animals out there causing, you know, more disease issues, you know, issues as you can imagine, if there weren't things eating dead animals. <laughs> the difference between the black vulture and the turkey vultures is that sometimes black vultures can be more aggressive. And they can start causing more um, problems with with humans and you know property damage or um, livestock depredations. Um, that's something you will not see typically with the turkey vultures. That's kind of in a nutshell the differences. Gotcha. And then just to expand a little bit, going going into the issue on why there's such a problem for livestock producers. What exactly are these black vultures doing? You said they're more aggressive, so I'm assuming are they maybe going after the calves or any sort of other younger animals, maybe to try to get an advantage there? What exactly are they doing? Yeah, so that, I mean that's exactly it. They they can actually um, attack uh, either calves or smaller livestock species, um, maybe sheep um, or animals that in general aren't doing as well. You know, maybe they would attack. Uh, a full-grown cow, but maybe like specifically right after birth when she's pretty vulnerable. Um, um, and this is usually in cases where you see a lot of black vultures in one particular area. If they're if they're in a bigger, larger group, it tends they tend to be more aggressive than if you just see one or two here or there. Um, and it's usually in an, in an instance where there's been they've been there for a significant amount of time too. So they're they're just building an aggression and then as you know a calf is born if they're born somewhere uh out like say in the back 40 um there's there's no humans around and, and the vultures are particularly aggressive they could um actually attack the, the cattle versus the turkey vulture which would wouldn't do that they would just they strictly only eat dead animals you mentioned something called the Migratory Bird Treaty Act, and I feel like a lot of people, or at least the general person out there, 
might not necessarily know what that is. Me, me personally, I don't necessarily know what that is, but it seems like that's the reason why they're federally protected. Do you know any information about that? Yes. So, I mean, to put it in simple terms, basically, you know, back in the 70s and, and so when there was a there was a big push to protect um, our our environment in general and, and Endangered Species Act. There was a bunch of policies that were enact, enacted to protect wildlife in natural areas. And one of them, you know, they, they recognized that our native birds are, you know, needed some sort of protection. And it's it's the Migratory Bird Treaty Act. Basically, they got together with some of the other uh, countries like Canada and Mexico and realized that, you know, we could protect them as, as much as we wanted in in America. But if they went up to Canada and they had no protections or, or vice versa, going on to Mexico uh, had no protections, then, you know, we really wouldn't be doing any good. So um, we took it as a larger approach um, and protected basically, again, to simplify things, almost all native species are included in the Migratory Bird Treaty Act. So, you know, everything from a chickadee uh, to ducks to, you know, um, to vultures are protected. And it's simply because it's, at, the, at the time, the way things were going, um, if we didn't protect them, um, they may not be here uh, for very much longer. Anyone who's just now tuning in, this is Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri. I'm Cameron Connor. We're here with David Marks. He's the Assistant State Director of Wildlife Services for the USDA, specifically in the Missouri and Iowa regions. And we're talking about black vultures and why they are federally protected, but also that they are an increasing problem for livestock producers. David, if these birds are federally protected, and let's say I'm a farmer that, or a livestock producer that lives in an area where this is becoming an issue, where the calves are being attacked by these black vultures, what are the ways that you can combat a bird that's federally protected? Because I'm assuming you can't just go out there all gung-ho and, you know, just start kind of execution-style terminating them. So what, <laughs> what are some tips and tricks that you can that you can do to handle these? Correct. Just a little bit more background on Migratory Bird Treaty Act. So when they, when they developed these protections, they did recognize that in certain instances that, you know, wildlife can cause um, significant issues, right? And there had to be some sort of way to, you know, mitigate those conflicts. And so they, they built into the, the Migratory Bird Treaty Act a, a, a way of getting depredation permits. So that's, and again, this, this applies to anything, not just vultures, but if there's a wildlife species, uh, a bird that's protected by, by the Migratory Bird Treaty Act, that's causing you know significant damages, there's threats to human health or safety. If there's some sort of issue, you can work with uh, USDA Wildlife Services and um, and, on, and then we in turn work with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife, who actually is the ones that issue the Migratory Bird uh, Treaty Act and, and depredation permits. They have the, the jurisdiction. Um, they can issue depredation permits. And, you know, that's in those instances when there is causing uh, significant either economic or uh, threats to human health and safety, stuff like that. That's just in general. Uh, so for the black vultures, and again, for everything, you don't need a permit to do any kind of harassment for any of these protected species. Now, you can't cause harm and you cannot uh, harass if, if, you know, they're breeding or nesting, uh, because that would, in, in, in a sense, cause harm to, you know, to the young. Um, but, you know, if they're not nesting, basically any species besides eagles, and they're a little bit different story because they're also protected by the American Eagle Act. But, um, 
vaulters in general, um, you can harass them at any time without a permit, as long as you're not injuring or killing them. Um, so that's one thing that you, they can do, folks can do on their own. You know, if you start seeing vultures, especially if they're starting to pay attention to your cattle, um, and you know you're about to uh, maybe have calves, something like that, you can go out there and harass them, uh, make loud noises. Um, you know, there's even specific things you can buy, like pyrotechnics. Um, you can use lasers. Um, there's lots of different techniques that you can do without even needing a permit. The other thing that we tell people is to um, just change some of their uh, practices. Like, again, if you know you're going to ha uh, have some calves coming up and they're in the back, if there's a way that you can you know, move your, your pregnant cows up to the, to the barns or even you know, near your residence where you can keep a better eye on them, um, basically protect your cattle a little bit better, get a, get a better eye on them. Um, and then if they are given birth, one thing we recommend with the, with the black vultures especially is um, dispose of that after birth. Um, you know, bury, bury the placenta, um, get rid of it because that'll be an attractant for these vultures. So there's lots of things you can do, you know, without even getting the step of getting a permit. And, and that's what we recommend. And then if you've tried all those things and, you know, they're still not getting the hint, <laughs> the vultures, at that point, you know, you can get a permit. Uh, depredation permit, and one thing that the, the Fish and Wildlife has done proactively working on this issue with, with Missouri um, and the Department of Conservation, Department of Agriculture, and, and my agency, Wildlife Services, is to normally that depredation permit process is a little bit more, takes a little bit longer and because you have to kind of go through a bunch of steps. Um, but for this issue, um, instance, because this is a known issue, they've set up a process where the Farm Bureau is basically acting as an intermediate. Um, they are actually permitted by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife to take a certain amount of black vultures. And they can, you know, so if, if a producer is having issues, they can call the Farm Bureau directly and get basically like sub-permitted on their permit um, to provide a limited number of, of birds that, that the producer could actually lethally remove. All right. Well, there you have it. This has been USDA Assistant State Director of Wildlife Services in Missouri and Iowa, David Marks. We've been talking about black vultures, the threat that they pose to livestock producers, and multiple different ways on how you can try to combat that if that is potentially a problem for you. David, thank you for your time here on Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri. Yeah, no problem. Thanks again. And if anyone tuned in late or if they want to learn more or replay this interview or share it in any sort of way, make sure to search Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri, wherever you get your podcast. Put a frog in boiling water and it'll jump right out. But put a frog in cool water and slowly heat it up, that frog will boil. As veterans, we tell ourselves the lie that we can handle anything. We let the water boil. You are not a frog. If you or a veteran you know needs support, don't wait. Reach out. Find resources at va.gov reach. That's va.gov reach. Brought to you by the United States Department of Veterans Affairs and the Ad Council. Here's Heather with the weather. Well, it's beautiful out there, sunny and 75, almost a little chilly in the shade. Now, let's get a read on the inside of your car. It is hot. You've only been parked a short time and it's already 99 degrees in there. Let's not leave children in the back seat while running errands. It only takes a few minutes for their body temperatures to rise, and that could be fatal. Cars get hot fast and can be deadly. Never leave a child in a car. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. What I remember most is the loneliness I felt, the separation from other people, 
At the end, drinking was no fun for me. Since I've started to attend AA meetings, the greatest gift is that I've become reconnected. I'm part of life again. I really like myself, and that's wonderful. AA is a miracle in my life. Visit aa.org for more information and download the Meeting Guide app to find a meeting near you. They are our love bugs and companions. They are our pets, our family, and they make life better. When we face unexpected challenges, so do our pets. That's why we're on a mission to support people and their pets. Whether donating a bag of kibble, sharing an Instagram post of a lost cat, or welcoming a foster pet into your home, every bit of kindness counts. Visit petsandpeopletogether.org to learn how to be a helper in your community. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Ad Council. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. We're back on Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. The Substance Abuse Prevention and Treatment Task Force has been meeting on and off for the past several years, and they just reorganized opioids and mental health is at the top of their list. Anthony Morbeth is with Democratic Representative LaDonna Applebaum of St. Louis County. Well, the task force was originally formed back in 2019, and we met a few times then. Uh, we listened to some, um, we had some hearings where we listened to some people in the uh, substance abuse community prevention programs, and then um, and then COVID happened. <laughs> so the task force was put on pause. Um, and then just recently in the, in the last few weeks of session, uh, we decided that we were going to bring it back. And uh, we had our first I would call it an organizational meeting um, just a few, like about a week and a half or so ago, where we nominated our chair and vice chair. And um, our uh, our chairman is actually a House member, which is John Black, and the vice chair is Senator Nick Schroer. He was the actual chairman um, in 2019. And I learned something on this task force is task force will switch chair chair positions um, from Senate to House every two years. So that's where we are with that. Um, there are also a total of three Democratic senators and five Republican senators. There's three other Republican House members and then two Democrats, myself and Representative Dale Taylor. The goal of this task force, I think the overall goal for, for this task force is Number one, well, we'll definitely we want to help people. I mean, that's bottom line. We, we, we're here to help and find out what's going on with people and get their lives back um, 
but I think the organizational part of this task force is to find out exactly where we're spending money in the state to, to help people, what's working and what maybe not working so well. And we're looking for new ways to help people with substance abuse issues. Let's talk specifically, uh, for example, opioids. Some of the things on this task force I happen to see is conduct hearings on current and estimated future drug and some substance abuse and uh, use within the state. I, I, I know that we're dealing with opioids. I believe the legislature passed a bill relating to uh, the opioid reversal drug naloxone or something like that it is mm-hmm. let's let's say for example opioids are you uh, would you essentially try to research and monitor that try and come up with legislation to kind of address that or attack that if that happens well, to be a big I issue actually yes i actually uh, had a bill it did not get heard in committee uh, yet but uh, it was a bill that said that the opioid um, prescriptions for chronic pain should have the same guidelines, uh, the CDC guidelines and um, Department of Health and Human Services should align w- with the guidelines. And a lot of people start back on that, like they were petrified that their pain medicine was going to be taken away from them. I, I received so many calls about that, and I tried to explain no, we're not trying to take your pain medicine away. We're just trying to align the guidelines for chronic pain. And I will tell you, the opioid addiction problem in the state is terrible. And I, I'm, you know, I'm brutally honest about about my health history. I'm a breast cancer survivor, and when I was going through treatment, you know, I had a, a double mastectomy, and they, you know, of course wrote a prescription for opioids for that. And then I told them I didn't want to take anymore. But every time I would go to a chemotherapy session, Walgreens would give me a call and say, your prescription is ready for pickup. And I think that there's a problem there. I mean, I literally told my doctors, I do not want opioids prescribed. And they kept doing it. So I think there's a lot of research, a lot of investigating that we need we need to learn about because they're doing that to someone who is just going through breast cancer treatment. I'm not saying just breast cancer treatment. That was a big deal. But usually opioids are prescribed for people who like have been in an automobile accident or they've had serious trauma to their body. And so I, I think uh, opioids is a huge problem in this state and something that we've got to continue to address. And if you're just tuning in, we're talking with Democratic Representative LaDonna Applebaum of St. Louis County here on Show Me Today. We're talking about the Substance Abuse Prevention and Treatment Task Force. It's been organized and they've been meeting on and off basically since 2019 and they started meeting again since the conclusion of the Missouri legislative session and uh, by the way before we continue in our discussion I just also wanted to mention for our listeners that if you enjoy listening to show me today you now can take us on the go with you all you need is Apple or Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, just type in the search bar, show me today, download and listen, and uh, 
take us with you on the go. So uh, that being said, obviously, opioids, I would have to assume one of the big sort of talking points and probably has been with this task force. So um, in, in in this particular case or um, in other uh, issues that may come to light with this task force, how do you explore solutions to substance abuse issues like opioid abuse, like cracking down on that in Missouri? How, uh, what does, and what would this task force do in this particular case? Well, we're having, what we're doing um, as a group, we're asking people that we know in our own communities, and then also the Department of Health and Senior Services, we're asking any type of substance abuse program uh, that want to come in and speak with us and share their information, you know, we're going to be in the hearing room for at least a, at least a couple of hours each time we meet. So as many people we can have join us to testify um, is what we're looking for. Before I let you go, what else has been discussed that you're willing to kind of mention and or bring up in, in this task force thus far? Well, for me, it's kind of like, the chicken and the egg thing. Um, is there mental health issues because of substance abuse or is there substance abuse because of mental health issues or is it, you know, basically a combination? And that's, you know, that's what I really want to hear from. I want to hear from professionals that can give me a better understanding of how it begins and what are the best treatments and some another treatment um, that, I think you might find interesting is we, um, I'm the ranking member on the health and mental health committee. And for the past two years, we've heard from, um, for instance, the university of Washington is doing a study on psilocybin, which is what most people will call magic mushrooms and how they can help people with substance abuse disorders. I also wanted to mention this because you had mentioned that you are on uh, the the mental health uh, either committee or subcommittee. I, I don't remember specifically, but I was reading that before this interview. And, and I know that that correlates a lot with the Substance Abuse Prevention and Treatment Task Force. So my question to you is this. In sort of addressing mental health as a whole, do you think that social media and media in general, whether that be radio, television, movies, whatever, contributes largely to the state of mental health in the U.S. in 2023? I think so. I mean, if you think about it, anything that you do repetitively becomes habit. <laughs> and the screens, just the, 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 you know, our phone screens, our laptop screens, our computer screens, our TV screens are everywhere. And I think people are developing an addiction to their screens. That is sad because like when you first wake up in the morning, the first thing you do is look at your phone instead of going to get a cup of coffee. <laughs> I, I think it's a, um, I think the new social media, we're all addicted to it in some way, shape or form. I mean, it's the way society is now. I, I look at how kids are, you know, how kids learn today compared to how Back in the day when I was in school, you know, it's completely, completely different. We may be creating a problem that we don't even realize. So was there anything else in regards to this task force that you wanted to mention? Uh, when are you meeting next? How often are you going to meet between now and the end of the year? We meet on June 22nd, and then we're going to be meeting um, usually mid-month of 
uh, each of the months until December. We're talking with Democratic Representative LaDonna Applebaum of St. Louis County on Show Me today. She's a part of the Substance Abuse Prevention and Treatment Task Force. And to keep up with the latest on that task force and to watch and or listen to said meetings, all you have to do is visit house.mo.gov and then search for the hearings themselves. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Meet Ed, movie buff, animal lover, safe driver. Five years of driving an ambulance teaches you a thing or two. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. When I see a car trying to rush past the turning bus, I get concerned. You see, when big vehicles turn right, they have to swing wide to make the turn. And that's a lesson you don't want to learn the hard way. When trucks and buses turn, let's you and I wait. It's It's our our roads. It's It's our our safety. safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. If you're talking, they will hear you Why are we getting killed like this? Kyle's not here. Got caught drinking beer in the park a couple of nights ago. Really? Yeah. Zero tolerance. He's out for the season. Harsh. Hey, he knew not to drink. We've made that clear to all of our kids, right? Uh, no, not really. Bill, if we don't tell them what we expect and why they shouldn't drink, how are they going to know? Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. You try All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. Hi, it's Tori DeVito. In every family, small conversations can make a big impact. Like when my dad shared his experiences as an alcoholic. Your honesty about that part of your life gave me a sense of integrity that I wanted to uphold in my own life. I wanted you to know from someone who's been in recovery more than 30 years now that hard work is what creates success, not alcohol or other drugs. I said it a lot, and I'm glad you took it to heart. Talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control, and priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana, in vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping, because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Email from school about the incident today. Scary. Tell me about it. Did you have any idea that was going on? None. I mean, you saw Derek at the game last night, too. Did you have a clue? 
No, but you know, teachers like me, parents, we don't always know as much as you guys do. Kids hear first about what's going on with other kids. Half the time, it's rumors. It can be hard to tell sometimes, but if you have a concern about a friend who's having trouble with alcohol, prescription drugs, bullying, violence, anything, you need to tell an adult. Mom or me, a teacher, coach, school counselor, someone you know and trust. Dad, no kid is gonna tell an adult about that kind of stuff. I get it, but if we don't know, we can't help. Speaking up about a problem, that's what helping a friend is all about. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Welcome back to Show Me Today. I'm Bill Pollack. 70% of Missouri schools are in rural areas. And the Center for Rural Education, this was created by Missouri State University, is working to uh, unify and identify specific needs for rural school districts. Cameron Connor is with the co-directors of the center, Dr. Diane Piccolo and Rhonda Bishop. For the Center of Rural Education, where did it all start? Do you mind if I start, Rhonda? Go ahead. This has been, um, we have known that there's been a huge need to provide additional supports and resources for rural schools, especially since 70% of school districts in Missouri are rural. Um, so it's been on the table as an idea, but it hasn't been, um, not until 2022 did our, um, our new Dean, Dr. Be Dean Barry Tinkler, um, make it a reality. She talked with the president of the university, the board of directors, and really, sold the idea that this was a very important initiative. The center was very much needed and she got the support that she needed. So the center is housed within the College of Ed, um, but it was basically the brainchild of a bunch of people, but Doc, Dean Tinkler was the one that actually got it off the ground and going. How about the overall responsibilities of the center itself? What exactly is it gonna be handling on an everyday basis or maybe on a yearly basis? What's that thinking like? So I'll, I'll tag that one. Okay. Um, I think, um, I think it's something that is really not clearly established yet. I know that sounds very vague, but I think that's where the beauty is, is in the vagueness because we have a lot of listening to do. We have goals and we have, um, a mission statement, but we really want to spend time talking to people in the state and, and in those rural schools about what their needs are. We know teacher retention. We know um, teacher, um, the shortage, the teacher pipeline. We know those are big goals and that's not just a Missouri problem or a concern. It is more of a, a nationwide concern. And we, but we wanna listen and we wanna hear what people are telling us to see if we can help tap into that. So when you say, what are the responsibilities? That's one of our first priorities is to, is to get out and to really talk to people. But our responsibilities probably be, will, will be daily. We are both still um, working and teaching in the College of Education. So we're gonna continue those roles until we, until we see exactly what the overall need is at this point and how much of a responsibility on our time it really it it takes but we're given time for this specifically to do this center so it's not like 
oh, Diane and Rhonda, just do this and then do this on top of that. It's you have this dedicated time to get this started. For those of you that are just now tuning in, this is Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri. I'm Cameron Connor. We're here with two excellent professors from Missouri State University, Dr. Diana Piccolo and Dr. Rhonda Bishop. They are the new co-directors of a new innovative education center that's titled the Center for Rural Education. And where I'd love to bring this conversation next for the both of you is you you heightened it in the, in the beginning, Diana, and that was the point that 70% of Missouri's schools are rural. And you both touched on it in your answer for the responsibilities that the center is going to try to tackle and try to listen to those needs. But clearly, some of those needs were already known because of the fact that of how how vast the the rural school percentage is. Can you give some general examples of some issues that rural schools or some needs that rural schools are facing versus maybe like your stereotypical urban ones? Because I'm assuming some of them that coincide are the things like teacher retention and teacher pay. But I'm sure there's a lot of very unique niche things for any of those rural areas. Well, I think one thing that is unique to rural schools is that um, a lot of the, you know, our especially for our teachers in our elementary program, um, we they want to get their degree in their area. We call it the grow your own program. They want to stay near. They want to graduate, get their degree, and then teach in the schools that they went to school with themselves and there's or in their general area. Um, and a lot of times they're they're not able to do that due to financial resources, pay. But there is a very big need for those schools right now that are wanting those teachers to stay, you know, stay where, where they are. And so I think that that idea of grow your own program is, is very important and unique to rural schools. One of the things we do know is that the schools are in many, many of these areas is the heart of the community. And when we have a thriving school, we, we have a th thriving community as well. And just to reiterate a little bit, what Diana was saying is, is that if we can help find solutions to having people stay within those areas where they already have families and have built relationships and, you know, to, to work in those schools, that's one of the tasks that we feel like we need to help problem solve. Um, one of the big growing needs that I've noticed, and I know Diana has as well, and this and the university as in general is is that we have a lot of our students or prospective students that work full time and we need to provide some solutions for them so that they can actually work their way through having getting those degrees where they can take over those teaching roles and provide it in a way that works with their schedules in those full in those full-time positions that they have. Many times they have those positions within within those schools themselves. I, I'd love to touch on the goals again. How exactly do you plan to reach out to these communities, to these schools? Real quick, the kind of the mission statement for the center is the Center for Rural Education will focus on establishing partnerships and programming to identify, prepare, and support quality school professionals for all rural students and small rural school districts across the state of Missouri. And our first goal is partnership, okay, establishing those school and community partnerships. The second goal is teacher pipeline, um, establishing different a variety of pipelines that will help new rural teachers um, stay in the profession. And that kind of goes back to the keeping them in their, their area where they want to stay. 
The third goal is retaining and supporting teachers, providing that professional development, um, the resources to keep them engaged and keep them um, in their schools. You know, we say that the first three years can be the most challenging. And if teachers feel supported within those first three years, there's a higher percentage that they'll stay in, in as a teacher. And the last one is research and advocacy, you know, seeking external funding to promote high quality rural education. Um, so, and those are kind of the broad goals for the center. It's the first of its kind here in Missouri. And hopefully, you know, whether it be down the road or whatever, there's lots of other universities around the state that are basically taking notes, taking notice, and hopefully helping pitch into the collaborative effort of the whole time of the whole thing. And there's a, a shout out. I know that there's a program at Missouri S&T for STEM, you know, mm-hmm. that focuses on rural schools, too. We don't see these as competitions. We see this as how do we all work together? and you know, push forward to, to meet these needs. Every school has their unique needs, whether it's an urban school, you, you alluded to this earlier, Cameron, you know, you, rural schools or urban schools, suburban schools. And I think just having the time to focus on rural and you know, being laser focused on that is very, is very unique in itself and it's going to be supportive. There's other things in there that can also be tied together. It's like, have you heard this or have you heard that? And I think that's the piece of working together for the benefit of these communities is what's key. Absolutely. Well, once again, this has been the co-directors for the new Missouri State University Center of Rural Education that just was launched recently. So once again, congratulations to both of you for that. And thank you very much for your time here on Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Thanks, Cameron. Thank you, Cameron. And for anyone who's tuning in late or wants to learn more, make sure that you search Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri, wherever you can find Hey, Jimmy, turn off the video games. Let's go play some ball. I'm in the middle of my game. Can't we go later? Come on, it'll be fun. It will be there when you get back. Okay. But there's no way you're going to win. Why don't you grab some water and granola bars, and then we'll see about that. You can make a difference. Eat smart, play hard. And when you do, your kids will too. A challenge from USDA. Some people won't give you the real talk on drugs. But it's time we know the facts. Fentanyl is often laced into illicit drugs and used to make fake versions of prescription pills. You can't see it, taste it, or smell it. Suppliers mix fentanyl into their products because it's potent and cheap. And the dealer might not even know. Keep yourself and others safe by knowing the real deal on fentanyl. Get the facts. Go to realdealonfentanyl.com. This message is brought to you by the Ad Council. It's 4 a.m., Monday, and you're literally sucking baby snot through a tube because she's congested. Man, that's love. And if you love her that much, love her enough to make sure she's buckled in the right car seat. To make sure your child's in the right seat for their age and size, visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. If a baby is giggling in the back seat, they're probably happy. If a baby is crying in the back seat, they're probably hungry. But if a baby is sleeping in the back seat, will you remember they're even there? When you're distracted, stressed, or not usually the one who drives them, the chances of forgetting them in the back seat are much higher. It can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast. 
and can be deadly. So get in the habit of checking the back seat when you leave. <laughs> a message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. Welcome back to Show Me Today. From keeping foreign adversaries out of Missouri elections to supporting the ban of ballot drop boxes, Missouri State Senator Denny Hoskins wants to run for Secretary of State. Elisa Nelson has more. Of all the uh, statewide offices, of all the offices to run for, uh, why Secretary of State and why do you think you should be the one elected? Well, I think obviously elections are very important. I mean, we want to make sure that we have integrity in the elections that we have. And when we look down at our borders as well and see just the uh, influx of illegal immigrants coming into uh, the United States, we want to make sure that only U.S. citizens have are voting in our elections. And so I think for the most part, we've had good elections here in the state of Missouri. I know one of the bills that I filed this past year was Senate Bill 350, which would have created the Office of uh, Election Integrity and Security. I just want to make sure that only U.S. citizens vote and, and only those people that are registered vote here in the state. And so that's one of the reasons that I decided that Secretary of State would be the best fit for me, as well as, you know, Secretary's office does a lot with local businesses and small businesses as far as getting them registered. And I want to see us work on streamlining that process as far as uh, helping out our small businesses, making more things available online. In fact, the governor passed or actually signed uh, my Senate Bill 171. And it, it basically kind of kind of did that as well. We were looking at making government more effective and efficient. Senate Bill 171 uh, took some of those ideas and said that, hey, instead of a Missouri truck driver having to physically take their hand and hand deliver their medical certificate in to renew their CDL license over the pandemic, they were able to turn that in online. And so after the pandemic, when that executive order uh, was lifted, they had to go back to taking off a full day of work in order to hand deliver their uh, medical medical certificate in. And that just didn't seem to make sense. So, you know, just simple things like that, that um, help out just everyday Missourians and, and take some of the bureaucratic red tape pressure off our small businesses and our truck drivers. Small business wise, uh, school me here, what is the Secretary of State, what kind of uh, realm do they have? There? Well, you, uh, when you when you create a, a business, um, you have to file 
documents with the Secretary of State. And so that's one of their one of their biggest things. And, and so we just want to take a look at that, uh, work with small business owners, work with the National Federation of Independent Business, the Missouri Chamber, and our small business owners to make sure that that process is, is streamlined and it is um, efficient as possible. Where do you stand on things like uh, paper ballots only, ballot boxes, and then there's that the consortium that Eric that deals with election integrity. Tell me kind of where you stand on all that stuff. Yeah. So with, with, uh, I guess, Eric first, I know our secretary of state Ashcroft uh, put us into the Eric system and then he also took us out of the Eric system. I, I would agree with his decision to take uh, us out of the Eric, Eric system. I know many other secretary of states around uh, the country have had some concerns about that data and what it's being used for. And so I agree with the secretary of state, uh, in taking us out of the Eric system. You know, I filed bills in the past to for voter ID. I think that's very important. I know we passed that in 2022. Uh, Senator Craw that was actually Senator Crawford's bill, but I had some similar legislation. And, and so I agree with election integrity measures as far as a voter ID. When it comes to paper ballots, um, we just looked down the road here at Osage County that went uh, to a paper ballot election and hand counting ballots uh, for this past April election. Uh, from all information that I've received, it was very successful. I, I personally believe that uh, that is one of the best ways to ensure election integrity is with those paper ballots, as well as hand counting. I, I would not be in favor of this point of mandating that uh, for any county, but for most certainly those counties uh, like Osage County that believe that, you know, hand counting ballots and paper ballots are the best way to go. As Secretary of State, I would make sure that I did everything that in my power to help support them in that endeavor. Ballot boxes? Yeah, the ballot boxes. Uh, you know, we, we did ban the ballot drop boxes. Uh, there's just a lot of problems and a lot of, of issues that can come when you have ballot drop boxes like they have in other states and stuffing ballot boxes and things like that. So I have been against uh, those ballot drop boxes and having those ready available at, at uh, seems like every street corner and like some other cities have done. When did we ban those? Last year in, okay. in 2022, that, that was part of uh, Senator Crawford's bill. Okay. And so I'm glad that that bill made it through. And like I said, I had filed similar legislation and, and think that that helps out with uh, the election integrity efforts and uh, to make sure that our, our elections are fair and they're transparent uh, here in the state of Missouri. So uh, if I'm understanding you correctly, so you still think voting machines have a role to play then in some places? Yes, I, I think voting machines may have still have a role to play. However, I think there's many concerns with uh, the security of those voting machines to make sure that they are secure, they can't be manipulated. And so um, I think that if, you know, the election, uh, the county clerks still want to use voting machines, that we need to make sure that those are, are very secure and uh, do more testing. You know, it's no secret that China, Russia would love uh, this, would love to get a hold of our elections. And, and one of the most easy ways to do that is to uh, sabotage the software um, and hack into those those voting machines, and so uh, I think they do they do have a place. But we, you know, I have concerns about uh, the software that's being used, and, and to make sure that our foreign adversaries aren't hacking into those systems. And then talk a little bit about 
what sort of data do you have um, potential problems with when it comes to Eric? Yeah, well, I think there was, you know, Secretary of State Ashcroft had concerns what that data was being used for and if it was being used for appropriately and, and who it was being shared with. I know other Secretary of States uh, had the, some of those same concerns. And so there was kind of a mass exodus uh, out of Eric this past, over the past 12 months. And so I share some of those concerns that Secretary of State Ashcroft had, as well as some of those other Secretary of States across the United States about how that data was being used, how it was being stored, who could have access to that. Uh, so those were some of my concerns as well. Anything else election-wise that you would really like to focus on uh, if you're elected? Well, I think, you know, part of that, my Senate Bill 350, which would create the Office of Election Integrity and have kind of a, a immediate quick hit or quick strike audit team task force. So if there's whether it's election day, the day before the election day, the day after the election day, or, or days leading up to the election day, if there are anomalies and irregularities in the voting process, that they can be dispatched uh, to that election, to that poll center uh, to see what's going on. You know, if, if they were run out of ballots, um, if all of a sudden you have a precinct that, um, yes, all the, all the ballots everybody voted Democrat or everybody voted Republican. I mean, that just simply uh, doesn't happen. But if there are some of those election irregularities that uh, this quick strike task force uh, could be um, on the road and visit that polling place and make sure that, you know, everything is kosher and, and everything is going the way that we would expect it to be. State Senator Denny Hoskins of Warrensburg, he's joining Show Me Today. I'm Elisa Nelson. He has announced that he's running for Secretary of State. I don't really have any other questions. What else haven't we talked about that you think needs to be mentioned? I think I think that covers uh, the vast majority of it. You know, everybody wants to make sure that our, our elections are, are fair and uh, there's no cheating that and to make sure that everybody that's actually voting is a registered voter and, and has the right as a U.S. citizen and has the right to vote in the state of Missouri. So uh, I want to make sure that we continue to do that. State Senator Denny Hoskins. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Show me today.